0: An Empire Boxing, and Unlearning Network production. Welcome back to the Empire Boxing Podcast. I'm your host, Jana. With us today, we have coaching legend, a Canadian coaching legend, to be, legend. Uh, to be specific. Yeah. I mean, that's how I've heard you described. So I'm waiting for you to prove me wrong here, Jesse. We are joined by Jesse Thompson, all the way from Montreal. Uh, so appreciate you adapting to the time zone and making time to come and chat with us today. Jesse, how you feeling?
1: I'm good. Ready for bed. No, just kidding.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Well, well hopefully we'll we'll bring you up and then you'll get nice and tired and you have a fantastic rest Perfect. of your evening and you can you can relax. But tell us about your day. What I'm I'm guessing you had a, a crazy busy day in the gyms and everything today. So walk us through what today looked like for you as an example.
1: Uh, today's just like any other day. Wake up around five in the morning, get my three kids uh, to wake me and my wife up. And then it's uh, straight to the gym. You know, I've been at the gym all day working with some pros, working with some clients. And that's it. 9 p.m. I'm back home now in time for this uh, podcast.
0: Nice. So most people on the 9 to 5, you on the 5 to 9 life.
1: Yeah, it's all over the place, to be, uh, to right. be honest. Never and so you same.
0: got a, you got three kids?
1: Yeah, three daughters. How $3. Old are they? I have uh, twins that are three years old and the younger one, she's two years old.
0: So the house so is loud
1: and crazy I love it
0: my, oh my god so three daughters so uh yeah. what i'm I'm curious to know what a boxing coach has planned for their three daughters
1: oh they know uh, defense already they know yeah, how to throw Derek. the technique Derek, is thanks. not there yet but they know how to throw punches they know how to put their hands up and for sure I'm gonna teach them how to box I think it's just uh box. you know box. you're in boxing yourself you know like I'm not talking mm-hmm. about the competition side of things but mm-hmm. more just to, like build confidence uh built that self-esteem and actually know how to defend yourself you know that's uh, very important
0: for sure well you said the oldest two are twins they're three years old yeah so you have what 10 years till they start getting asked out on dates and
1: yeah you know okay. need
0: to need to defend themselves so you got some time dad
1: <laughs> daddy will be there watching that's
0: for sure oh i bet honestly i i pity the fool i, I pity the fool um, talk to us about boxing and your journey, how you got into it and, you know, who were your influences?
1: Yeah, there's been, I mean, I'm, I'm 31 years old. I've been in the sport since I'm uh, six or seven years old. So there's been quite a few people who've uh, influenced me over the time, but I started at seven years old. My, uh, my father brought me to the boxing gym and I had a amateur career until I was about 16. But at a very young age, I could just tell, like I had something for coaching and, I think it was when I was 18 years old I really started taking coaching full time and and the rest is history I mean I've been doing it uh, making a living out of it and living the dream you know wow. as Much as who- as much as boxing can have like its downsides and sometimes there's low there's lows and stuff we just keep pushing and getting better and try to learn through 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 the career you know
0: Mm-hmm. and so as, you know you said you found an affinity for coaching quite young what can you point to where that came from um like what about it drew you in and was there a specific person that to there was one take it that one
1: way? special person and if there's boxing associated to, to someone's face in Canada that's Russ Amber so I was very fortunate enough for my father to bring me to Russ Amber's gym so from a young age I was I was watching greatness I was seeing how it works you know uh, you know, whether it's the technical part of boxing, whether it's the strategy part of boxing, whether it's the business side of it. So right away, mm-hmm. you know, like I think 15 years ago, Russ had his own show on TSN and it was every Sunday night or Monday night. So, you know, the, just just to show at what level he was at, you know, working mm-hmm. with world champions, starting his own boxing uh, boxing uh, equipment company, which is Rival Boxing. Mm-hmm. That started in 2005, I think. So just being around him, just... You know just to know how to talk to media or just to be like presentable and how to speak with fighters you know it's just mm-hmm. the best influence i could have had honestly i mean i was Amazing. really grateful and i'm lucky you know
0: all that training brought you to this fateful moment on the empire boxing podcast who knew yeah that's right. good, th- good good thing you of all that media training we're pretty serious over here um well, that's amazing. What was the like? What was the relationship or the influence that you, your father, had on you apart from bringing you to the gym? Did he coach you? Was he involved yeah, in Yeah, actually, my
1: dad. My dad. Sorry, I didn't let you finish. That's but okay. Yeah, Tell my, us about my, dad. My dad was uh, basically uh, Russ Amber's assistant coach. So okay. my dad, like, uh, for the reputation of the name, you know, just him being in the business of boxing for over 10 years that helped me too when I started coaching. So people would associate Mm -hmm. me to my father. So that was a huge plus, you know, and then just, uh, just having him around and growing up, uh, in the gym with him around, it was, uh, phenomenal. And, uh, I'm very grateful for him to push me to have had pushed me in the boxing. And, you know, now I make a career out of it and it was, it was amazing times, you know, and now I'm, I'm, I'm doing things, you know, uh, I wouldn't say on my own, but now it's, you know, it's my time. So it's nice to see the mm-hmm. the evolution going on.
0: Yeah. And that really set you on your path. Now, have you lived or trained anywhere outside of uh, Montreal?
1: Yeah. I've, I mean, for fights, I've been around the world, but I've mm-hmm. also coached in Florida recently. I think it was back in uh, April. I was there for five weeks. So it really gave me a new uh, perspective on coaching and fighters and, you know, I, I love getting out of my comfort. I love seeing different experiences, uh, seeing how boxing has worked around the world, you know. Just like when you go mm-hmm. to fights, that fight week, you see how coaches work, how the commission works, how the promoters work. So I'm, I'm so open for experiences and just uh, to keep seeing things from a different outlook, different uh, perspective. I also trained in uh, Thailand for a month boxing mm-hmm. with the national team. So even that helped me to see different different views of boxing even Russ Amber had uh had Pedro Diaz down in Montreal for like uh maybe a year or two so just the way he held pads like really influenced the way I hold pads and the way they base their trainings you know it's just seeing different experiences that I think when you're a coach you really have to have an open an open view you know and you start seeing different tricks you know when you're young you start coaching you're you're like oh no my way is uh the best way I figured all this game out. And then you start seeing different different views, Mm -hmm. different ways of coaching, different strategies in the ring, you know. So I think, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it was with Pedro Diaz, Russ Amber, or traveling, even down in Florida, like at the beginning of this year, it just keeps adding up, you know, and then you you get to pick and choose what you want to adjust in your coaching styles.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's the new, the coolest thing about the the more new school coaches, which you know I would consider. We I was recently talking to my friend on the podcast, uh, Julian Chua, down in L.A. And yeah, um, you know yeah. him, himself, you. right? Like himself and you, like there's a there's a totally different open adaptable, uh, highly educated and also, you know, heavily influenced as well. Like allowing yourself to be influenced from the past, but be open-minded to observe the present, to create the future of boxing is the coolest thing. I think about you, you guys at new new school kind of coaches like really bring to the game and, and you're, you're 31, like you have, you know, a good career ahead of you to, to really influence boxing in a, in a really big way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm still very young and uh, shout out to Julian. I know he's doing great things down at the uh, Brickhouse. Yeah. He, yeah, and, he's
0: doing uh, kind of, I
1: can He's really killing it and you know, like once you get to that level where you're you're actually killing it, it's just a matter of keep working hard, staying humble, and all the success is going to come his way, you know.
0: Mm-hmm, but, absolutely. Uh, I, I can't wait to of, uh, go and one, see what he's doing down there.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's big things, big things, mm-hmm. trust me. But um I think the what new coaches kind of understand or there's this new wave you see in all sports is more like the way I coach my fighters is not the way Russ used to coach and it's not the way mm. the old the older heads train in this city, you know. I've I I like to adapt my trainings. So whether like every individual, every guy going inside that ring or girl, they have different uh they've they were brought up in a different environment. They respond well to some certain things, but they don't respond well to other things. So just that aspect of like trying to figure out who you're working with, getting close to them, seeing how they feel, understanding the, their emotions just helps you push them in different gears, you know. Whereas mm-hmm. before it was one way and it, you work with that way, that's good for you. If it doesn't work for, if it works for you, good. If it don't, bye, next box. Yeah. You know? But now there's definitely a change, you know. And. As mm-hmm. coaches, I think it's super important to adapt. You know, you want to keep your your moral beliefs and your your way of coaching, but you you mm-hmm. definitely need to work around. And communication is so key too, just to just to to try and understand what you're working with and what fighters, so they can talk to you and give you feedback. Like mm-hmm. I'll ask my fighters, you know, how was I in the ring? How was I in that fight? You know, and they give you feedback, mm-hmm. and you you just play with that. You know.
0: Yeah, Julie and I were actually talking on the uh, on the kind of the topic of cornering and like what's helpful coaching and what's, you know, not really helpful coaching, like the idea of sort of cheerleading too much or presenting too much information to the athlete when, you know, their heart rate's like 180 beats a minute and they're not they're not hearing half of what you say. So we yeah. had an interesting kind of conversation about the idea of being simple and precise and concise, like stripping yeah. it down so that you have 30 seconds or less of information to present to your athlete so they can actually effectively execute. What's your cornering strategy when you're cornering
1: it depends are we early in the fight are we up in the fight are we down in the Mm. fight are we on the road on the fight are we home you know there's so many different uh different aspects to the game that will depend you know like sometimes I'll have to calm a guy down like he's too excited he's letting off too much power so to answer your question it's really a case by case but like I said before Mm -hmm. when you're a coach you got to read that you got to understand your fire you understand what beast is in the ring right now, and what how to how to gauge it? You know, sometimes yeah. I'll I'll have to slap my guy in the face. You know, like wake up. What are you doing? Are you awake? Like mm-hmm. listen. You know, sometimes I'll be like, the first thirty seconds. Take a deep breath. You mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. Listen. You're doing everything good. Now let's add this. Sometimes I won't even be adding stuff. You know, maybe
0: mm-hmm. maybe you'll
1: be like, you need to fix this because right now we're getting clipped because you're leaving your punches hang. You know, or it it, it depends. It's really like it's right. a, but you you gotta be you gotta be calm as a coach. You gotta understand when mm-hmm. to pick it up. You gotta understand when to slow it down. And you know what? Like, as a coach yourself, like, you could see things. But when you have, like, let's say, two or three other good coaches who know the fighter and they're with you, mm-hmm. you ask them. You know, during the round, what do you think? What do you think? You know, you get their feedback, and and sometimes it's even good to have uh, maybe a, a voice that's not even part of the team, right? So like, let's say last weekend I had a Muhammad fight and Russ was in the corner with us. You know, we know Russ, but he hasn't seen Mo in the gym. He hasn't watched him spar, see where he's at, Mm -hmm. where's his development, you know, what's he working on in the gym. But just to get that outside perspective, you know, sometimes us coaches were with the fighters so much that we don't really see it, you know, and then you get this this uh this opinion from someone else who is watching the fight as a whole you know from the outside Mm -hmm. they might see something else you know it's the same thing sometimes i'll send sparrings to other coaches and just try to get their feedback for my fighters you know and vice versa
0: i love i love that i think that that collaborative energy is also very new school you know it's not so much me and my fighter and it's you know there's that that Mm -hmm. um removal of sort of that ego a little bit more humility a little bit more of a collaborative approach to athletes i think is really just going to benefit the athletes i'm curious to know what you so i hear the idea of adaptability that you're talking about a lot when it comes to coaching and how important being adapt like being able to adapt is are there you know three key characteristics that you feel a good coach must have
1: well adapted like you just said i mean are we talking boxing or just in general
0: yeah, let's talk boxing like if adaptability is you know one of those key characteristics what would maybe two two more in your opinion be
1: hmm, very good question uh, just understanding maybe it like adapting yeah but understanding individuals so like I said before like knowing how to push them in certain ways when to hold them back you know just just like the, the person
0: uh, personability you
1: know like yeah, yeah okay see, see, understanding people understanding what What's going on, you know? Then, as yeah, a boxing uh, coach, I mean, like, it's very important that you know the techniques, you know, like the the basic boom. techniques and then the strategy, you know? What are, okay, we're fighting this guy. What kind of fighter are we bringing to the table? Boom, it doesn't mm-hmm. go well after two, three rounds. We got to switch styles, you know? You have to be able to, being a coach, being a boxing coach, like, there's no perfect science, you know? It's not, mm-hmm. it's, you're dealing with, an individual fighting another individual. You have both guys trying to take their heads off, you know, and then you have everything around that, you know, it might be, uh, the boxers promoter, the boxers manager, uh, matchmaking, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. so you just, you, you gotta be able to put on these different hats as a coach, you know, so adapting mm-hmm. is one understanding people. And I think you need to keep evolving, you know, but there's mm-hmm. something that's really lost in boxing. And like, it, this is not taken o- away, uh, anything from anyone you know but the techniques of boxing is something that you just see slowly going down in boxing mm. if you now, watch are, fights, you
0: ref- are you referring specifically to um like bu- uh, like the technical aspects of fighting or the technical so the, knowledge of coaches
1: the knowledge of teaching the art of boxing so gotcha. understanding how many jabs you can throw how do you pivot the hips how do you snap your shoulder how do you turn your wrist? How do you hit with both knuckles? How do you engage your core? The legs, the, the, the opening and closing the legs, like how close, how far do you want them, you know, rolling mm-hmm. with punches properly, you know, catching punches properly, understanding head movement. These are all like the quality of that is not really seen. That's my mm-hmm. opinion. I might be completely wrong, but, um, it's something that's important, you know. And it's, I,
0: it's yeah.
1: you see guys fight on TV or even at the Olympics, you see, you see a lot of talent, you see a lot of athletes, you see a lot of people mm-hmm. understanding what they're good at. So maybe mm-hmm. they're strong, so they're a powerful boxer. Maybe lanky. they're long and lanky, so they're outside boxers. Like the strategy part, I don't think, like it's, people understand that. They see, like, even, casual fans people who are watching boxing a lot will be like well he has to throw more or he has to keep Mm. it outside or he has to move his head he's hitting and he's keeping his head there so Mm. the strategy part is some people have it some people don't but the artistic part so the technical part you know just Mm. the posture where's your chin going what are you looking at you know those are all little details that I don't see much of
0: Hmm. Do you think that has anything to do with um, how Instagram has sort of evolved into everyone's business card being a boxing trainer? I think I, I think I saw an interview that you did. Someone was asking you a question recently. Yeah. Um, You know, just your opinion on the fitness boxing world and whether it's doing any justice or favors to, you know, it's provide a good question, the then. obvious difference between technical coaches you understand not only like you okay they don't just understand boxing but they actually know how to teach and now that's you
1: different got it. right now you so got
0: it. yeah do you think that now instagram you kind of plays it. a bit of a role in that
1: i don't know if it's that i don't know i i wouldn't want to say it's because of social media now there's no more technically sound coaches i think it's just something that slips through the cracks you know and maybe it's something that's not emphasized enough maybe it's not something that really like coaches pay attention to you know Mm -hmm. but uh on the other side of it like the social media boxing it's something that really was bothering me like maybe like two three years ago you know I was like well look at her look at him he's got hundreds of thousands of followers and doing all these combos and that's not boxing you know and I was like negative about it a bit like the YouTube boxing but you know Mm -hmm. what like at the end of the day um it's good for boxing it's good mm-hmm. like no matter how you see it it's good for boxing you know so i'm not i'm not judging anymore and i kind of embrace it and push it too you know yeah. but definitely there's like when you say fitness boxing or like social media boxing it it doesn't really represent boxing itself unless you've been in the ring like i don't know like sparring or fights or yeah you will see that most of what is taught on social media it wouldn't work in a boxing fight unless you're mm-hmm. like maybe Lomachenko or, you know, one of mm-hmm. the greatest fighters of uh, our time right now, you know, so you see Canelo mm-hmm. doing his head movement and you think, well, I'll do that. Well, yeah, but you need like, there's maybe 150 other steps you need to take before yeah, you do that. Yeah, there's kind of context
0: head movement. to it. Yeah, absolutely. Even
1: the Mayweather pads. I mean,
0: yeah,
1: guys, it's for the camera. You, Floyd is a counterboxer, you know, he's uh he'll make you miss. He'll make you bite. He'll, He'll, he'll be like very conservative you know he's not he's not throwing 15 20 punches uh, within one combo you know but people who are maybe not fully in the game won't see that you know they won't understand mm-hmm.
0: that but yeah I, I think, think that, you know I think so social media can be a platform for all types of coaches and I think it's really about how they're branding themselves or how they're representing themselves and if there's clarity around you know what lane are they in and because at the end of the day, you know the, the resume the resume really shows what it is yeah. that you're doing in the industry and what you're not. And but I do think I do agree with you. I think it's I think it can be as beneficial as it can be confusing for the consumer uh, or harmful or whatever you want to call it. It can be I think it's confusion, you know. But uh, yeah. it, it's an interesting and beautiful tool that you know also can connect us with a whole bunch of knowledge. You know, yeah. to your point, you see something on social media that one of the greats is doing, and you're like, oh, I'm going to apply that, but. Do you have, like, can you tie your shoelaces before you start running kind of thing? Like, where, that's a good one. I'm where, gonna where did that, that begin, one. Right? I like that one. Yeah, yeah that's. Definitely. I had a track coach back in the day. He was like, okay, you know, uh, his, his whole thing was about mentally pulling us back to like, yeah, but tie your laces. Or it, might, it was a basketball coach. He's like, all the skill in the world goes down the drain. If you didn't tie your shoelaces, you're going to trip on yourself, you know? So it's a good discipline. Um, I love it. Now, how do you balance your family life and this crazy coaching life that you have?
1: Uh, that's one of the hardest struggles. There is, you know? <laughs> right? I hope by the time I'm 50, I figure it out. But it's just a matter of trying to balance everything. I mean, life is as everyone knows, life can be easy, it could be hard, but usually it's hard, you know, so you just got to try to adapt and, you know, communicate is important, you know, just to, to to have people on the same page and understand what's going on. And there will be sacrifices, there will be times where it's harder, you know, but you have to see the big picture, you have to, it's just a matter of adapting, to be honest, and trying yeah. to balance it off, you know, like last weekend, we were away and uh, on a small trip, you know, for three days. So you tr- you try to you play with it, you know. You see how it goes. Mm-hmm. You you communicate a bit like boxing, you know.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In your opinion, what do you think separates the successes of you know Quebec as a as a province with their, you know that they specifically stand out in in boxing comparatively to other provinces? What do you think? Some of the key factors are there in in their success, your success.
1: Um, boxing in Montreal has a rich history. It was very mm-hmm. popular in the eighties and nineties. So I think just having that as a background, you know, like just propulse uh, having good coaches Montreal. Mm-hmm. Like I, like I said, I was down in Florida and trust me, there's a lot of fighters there. There's uh, so many like high level pro pro fighters, you know, but what we have in Montreal, what I see is there's a lot of good coaches. And when you have good coaches that attracts fighters from the outside. So there's mm-hmm. that part, right? So to teach the boxing, you know, the proper technique and stuff. I feel like there's a lot of good coaches in Montreal. And right now there's a bit of a, like, like a chemistry. A lot of coaches are working together, you know, so that just helps too, right? And then on the other side, you have, you have very good promoters, whether it's uh, Camille Estefan or Yvon Michel. Yvon Michel been there for years, you know, so just to have those shows constant, you know, the consistency. Mm -hmm even with Ida Tiger, what they're doing is, it's unbelievable, you know, for, for Montreal. So just to have those two promoters put on 10, 15, 20 shows, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's huge. It gets, it keeps, it keeps the, the wheel turning, you know, and there's other promoters that are in the works of also doing their own shows. So I think when you have Mm -hmm. that consistency of having shows and those promoters being associated with, whether it's top rank Bellum or even Golden Boy or you know, when you're you're able to associate and have your fighter fight on your show and then ship them up to the U.S. on TV, I mean that's huge. You know, so I think yeah, those two elements are what makes Montreal uh, probably like the number one city in uh, Montreal and probably like a top five, top ten in the world uh, in North America, right?
0: So, mm-hmm. um, what did you notice? Uh, I remember you were saying you were you're observing when you were in Florida, your experience there, were there things that, was there anything specific that you took away? You're like, I'm going to apply this when I get home. And was there anything that you saw that was like, you were just going, what the hell is going on here? Were there a positive and a negative there?
1: Yeah. I mean, in the, in Florida for like, I've been to Boston too, for like four or five camps, but in Florida, there's so many fighters. So the spar- the level of sparring is just, it's hard to compete with yeah. them. I mean, in right. Montreal, you know, I have, a, I have a 130 pounder and then a 135 pounder and I've had guys in and out in camp. There's usually like at the top level, there's usually like three or four maximum sparring partners mm-hmm. and right. you spar these guys over and over and over that, you know, like today we were at sparring at Donnie Brooks and like I'm there talking to the coach, you know, how is your kids? What do you, you know, like there's this Mm -hmm. kind of the fighters are talking hey how's it going what are those boots you know you go down to florida it's high Mm. like they're 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 somewhat respectful because i've been to vegas too like in florida they're pretty respectful especially the coaches but you're going in there it's like a fight Mm -hmm. so here we're sparring the same people over and over and over you know and god bless them you know like there's there's just so much you could do you know and then you're in the U.S. you're sparring two times, three times a week and every sparring is like almost like a fight. I'm not saying it's yeah. the best thing, but that level of comp- competition, that level of speed and that level of like the exchanges, it just like it brings you another level. So if right. you're doing a 3-4 week camp in Florida and you're sparring like ex-olympians or pros that are 15, 20 and 0 and they're different, you don't even know their names and they're they're just duds, mm-hmm. you know. So you're, you're, you're sparring like it's a fight. So when you come through your fight after a six- or eight-week camp, ju- your speed is at another level. Not that they understand boxing more. Not that their, their coaches are better. Not that their strength conditionings are better. Not that, you know, like they're humans. It's just the competition of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's another thing, a problem that we have in Canada is, you know, you're an amateur fighter. You're fighting. You're not fighting enough. Mm. Like, you're not fighting enough. In the U.S., there's, you know, there are 300, what, 60 million people. You're fighting every weekend, and it's not just one fight per weekend, you know. Same thing with Europe. So the guys end up turning pro with 200, 300 300 amateur fights, whereas here they turn pro, you know. Sometimes you'll get guys who get on the international team, and they they travel a little bit, but they usually have 60, 80 fights, and they fought the same guy over and over again. So, like, you're just... So that's the main, main thing with Florida and and, uh, Montreal that I saw right away. I'm like, we have to come back down here and do at least two, three weeks of sparring, you know, just Mm because the level is different.
0: Yeah. I I think it's probably pretty easy for the fighters to, you know, let their foot off. I mean, I've experienced it too, sparring the same people. You just let, you kind of let your foot off the gas. There's something about it. In a way, yeah, you know, you're chatting shit or someone says all like, hey, you know, like, this hurts a little or I'm feeling a little tired today. And all of a sudden it's just like that just enters your brain and you're like, okay, you know, like gas off 5% or whatever, or you know exactly what to expect and you're not really able to execute any, any new element to your game real time, because it's so predict it's so predictable and the intensity level is so predictable. And that, that is a really tough thing. And I, I think a lot of Canadian athletes probably, you know, go through that, Uh, especially in, in women's amateur boxing. There's like, like no one, in your weight class or whatever, you know, and then you have yeah. to travel and the fights just aren't there and it is tough. So in, in your opinion, what what would it take for Canada to sort of get to the, maybe the level of Florida or Los Angeles? Like how long would that take and, and what would, what would be I the key elements of that?
1: I don't see it happening, to be honest. Really? The main thing with Florida and like these hotbeds, like LA, you know, or, even uh, Vegas for like Vegas, Florida, and LA, why they, they attract so many fighters. One of the main reasons is because of the weather. So already mm-hmm. Canada, like we're down there. Then it's the, there's a lot of Hispanic fighters, you know, like Spanish speaking fighters from whether it's Puerto Rico, uh, Dominican Republic, Colombia, you know, Mexico, mm-hmm. that they're going to travel the U S and just stay there. So it's hard to, and it's like it's whole snowball effect. So you get all these fires coming, all these coaches, all this money being dumped, you know? So mm-hmm. for Montreal to have that, we would just have to have so much, like there has to be that snowball effect. And it hasn't yeah. really gone there in Canada. There's not, there's just, the money's not there. There's not enough people, but it's still a great way to to start up your career. You know, I'm not saying mm-hmm. I'm not bashing Canada for boxing. I mean, Mm -hmm. We could be in another country where there's zero boxing Mm -hmm. to get to a point where you're in Florida. I don't, I don't see it. I just, I can't see Vegas too, Mm -hmm. you know, like fighters from the U fighters from the U S will travel to like Florida. They'll travel to Texas. They'll travel to LA. They'll travel to Vegas, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, and it's so much easier to travel internationally in the States too. Like Canada makes it, so hard and so expensive, and expensive. for us to travel yeah. internationally or sorry nationally Where is in the states you know you can you can do it for under 200 bucks sometimes yeah. you know oh, hop yeah. state to state it's so for so for you know upcoming fighters that are really on a budget trying to get experience it's like it's far more doable than it is in Canada and even for us to be crossing the border all the time these these athletes yeah. like how do you afford to do that uh, curious yeah. speaking on the on the topic of you know the states and wondering what your opinion is on you know the the sort of new look that thriller and bare knuckle and the triad and jake paul's influence and in boxing like what's your opinion on all of that
1: um i mean it's entertainment at the end of the day you know do you
0: believe it's good for boxing
1: like the youtube boxing i think it's good because i like yeah. I, I had my negative thoughts about it too before but i actually participate in uh an event uh, down in uh, Tampa Bay, actually, in Florida. Mm. And there were 12,000 people there. I mean, it was it was crazy. The atmosphere was nuts. I've been to some of the biggest days, you know, whether it's Lomachenko or Canelo, who are big stars. You know, I was in the UK and Russia, Germany, the US. For, so, but that atmosphere that was there down in Tampa Bay for those YouTube fights was crazy. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's good for boxing. I, I do one-on-one trainings, you know, I do private trainings because that's the, you know, it helps the finances of boxing itself. And right. I see, I see clients who are strictly there because they saw Jake Paul fight, you know, so they're, they're putting, they're pumping money into boxing, you know, so mm. I I have nothing I'm- bad to say about it. I mean, as right. long as you understand, like, there's YouTube boxing and then there's those fighters who've been doing it their whole lives, you know.
0: Right. Well, there's also these, like, hybrid rule sets where you have, like, MMA fighters fighting boxing athletes under this, like,
1: entertainment, you know.
0: Yeah, new rules. Like, it's, it's really interesting. And it, it's, uh, you know, you get a lot of salty people that are like, this is ridiculous. Like, what are we wasting our, you know, precious hours on? And then, you know, you do see, you know, a, a, an audience of 12,000 that have all paid tickets to see combat sport and maybe for the first yeah. time in their life appreciated it or saw a nuance. And then, you know, to your point, then they stumble into your gym and go, yeah, I'm like Jake Paul inspired yeah. me. Like, I, I don't know what I would do if someone said Jake Paul inspired me. Like, I, I don't know if I think, I think I'd slap them first and then be like, okay, I'll take your money train with me like, or whatever. <laughs> like it's 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 just an interesting era that we're entering. And I, I love hearing um you know, like old school coaches perspectives on it and also like the, yeah. the nice to go school guys there adaptable and open-minded and kind of your, your opinion on that as well. So very I mean, interesting. No, yeah, I guess so. I mean, like you're not moving with the times if you're closed off to the, to how things are changing. And, and that, I mean, that's right. a great point. Uh, I have a couple. So Dan, Dan Norman, um, he gave me a, you know, a, some other question ideas for it, which I'm going to dive okay. into one of Dan's questions here. And he was curious about, um, do you think that the, the pros today are as good as sort of like the golden era you know, the seventies and eighties.
1: I hate comparing. I know I did it before I compared, you know, the coaching, but, uh, I mean, this is the problem that you never hear this. Okay. What I'm about to say, Mm. but we look back at the golden, like us, or even like the, the older heads, you know, we look Mm -hmm. back, but we look back only sometimes at just the big fights, you know, But we Mm. could do the same thing in 10 years. We could do the same thing about now and just handpick like, oh, that fight. What a fight that was, you know, like, wow. what? So, you know, like, are the fighters better or we're just like, we're looking at the ages, you know, the Hagler, the Hearns and stuff like that. And we're like, oh, yeah, that was a great fight. But in 10 years, we could do the same thing about, you know, we're doing it now with Gaddy and War, you know, like Mm -hmm. to say that. Comparing
0: highlight reels.
1: Yeah. So I I'm sure, I'm sure there was boring fights back then where the fighters a bit more brutal and had that warrior instinct. Once again, maybe we're, we're just handpicking, you know what I mean? So
0: it's hard hard
1: to say if the fighters are better now and they're, they're worse now, but definitely I think that the science behind, um, conditioning, so pushing the Mm -hmm. athletes, you know, finding the ways of nutrition, you know, like. I don't even take care of conditioning for my fighters. There's someone who's specialized and educated who went to university and probably got master's and doctorates and all that, you know, back mm-hmm. then the coach would do everything. So there's certain yes. points, certain points that evolved. And maybe there's some that, you know, maybe life is, maybe they'll say that life is easier now than it was in the eighties. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't like to judge cause I didn't, I didn't live in that moment, you know?
0: Yeah, but for sure. I'm that's, sure that's in 20 point. years
1: in 20, 30 years, you're going to watch fights that happened this year in 2022, and you'd be like oh those guys used to fight all oh, oh, oh.
0: you know so. yeah yeah such so a good point point. And, and on the strength and conditioning topic uh, i was also speaking recently with my friend uh, taylor ramsell who came on the podcast you might be familiar with him he's a uh, dimitri Bival's ssc coach and mm-hmm. we were just talking about the idea of you know now we're starting to see strength and conditioning coaches have their place not just in the corners but in the gyms with like high level boxers and you know let's say 20, 30 years ago, it was just like 100 sit-ups and push-ups till you 100%. you can't do a push-up anymore. And it's so amazing to see, I think to your point, like maybe the conditioning of the athletes is just more scientific. Maybe take the word better out of it, but there's more science to the camps and the phases of the strength and conditioning programs and like how these athletes can peak at a high level repetitively, repetitively with progressive overload in their training, rest stages. And, and I think, having a more evolved scientific approach to the snc is really impacting athletes in a big way and we're seeing that at a high level we saw you know bevall even just for example um just out conditioned canelo so mm-hmm. badly yeah. you know and one's not more skilled or you know than the other like they're 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 very different fighters um, and obviously they both have a wealth of experience and, you know, Canelo's Canelo, but, and, but the conditioning that we've all had, and I, I, maybe I'm biased. I'd like to think it was cause my buddy was this coach. I'm like, yeah, boy, but, um, shout out to Taylor, but I, it was brilliant to see where the, the difference in the, the conditioning. And I mean, there was also a weight class, you know, change that Canelo had to make as well. And that, that can play its role, but, um, interesting to see how that's coming in and, even in, in UFC and, and seeing some of these athletes get Huge. to just like superhuman levels of performance again yeah. and again and again. It's pretty amazing. You can always tell when a camp went bad, too, right? Like, like oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, another question that, that Dan had that um, I'm really curious about was um, what talk to us about your connection with the Grant brothers and how that uh, evolved. The,
1: yeah. The Grant brothers, I've known them since when I started boxing because Russ was basically coaching Otis and Howard. And even Ryan, their younger brother who lives in Toronto and has his own gym, you know. So Mm -hmm. there was a time in my career when I started coaching. I think I was 18, 19. And after a couple of years, um, I kind of like took a step back from boxing, just wanted to see, you know, where I'm going with it. And then my brother, my little brother, was training at the Grand. So he called me over and asked me to train him there. And one thing led to another, you know. So I stayed in their gym for uh, seven years. And I was uh, their amateur head coach there, and I was their cut man for all their pros. So they really, like, if we could, if we were to break it down, you know, Russ really taught mm-hmm. me, you know, he teach me, you know, he teach me how to be a coach, how to, you know, how to have the eye to be a good coach. And then, you know, there was these other influences, whether it was Pedro Diaz, you know, Mark Ramsey, Mike Moffa, or, you know, and. They they impacted me too along the way, Renal Boabai who's a coach from Montreal, but the grants really like allow me to work that, you know, like get the mm. experience, uh, turn a few of my amateurs into the pros, you know, so, and they were also doing their pro shows themselves, so I kind of saw how the work, the business works, you know, and traveled with them too, so I worked with the grants for seven years, to me, they're family, wow. you know, uh, they're some of the best guys that there is uh, in this world, you know, and And boxing their name is, is gold, you know? So I got Mm -hmm. to get my own experience, uh, working with them and seeing how it works. And, and now since COVID, I think two years ago, I started doing things more on my own and opened the gym, you know? So it's kind of like, that's the evolution. And, you know, I'm grateful for the time with the grants and we still talk and I still bring my guys there to spar. And, uh, yeah, we still work and talk together. You know, it's like family.
0: Awesome. Very cool uh, history and uh, like kind of an awesome legacy. Um, Curious who is on your current roster Uh, for those who might not maybe know you are familiar with, uh, you know, your current, your, actually let's do both like your, your notable athlete history, like, you know, and then who's on your current roster fill us in on, on that.
1: Yeah. So the two, main fighters I'm working with and I've been working with them since uh, early in their career one of them is Mohamed Suma Oro he was supposed to fight on the Empire uh, show uh, I think it was last April. not this April the April before yep. he's uh, now 12 and one um I started him uh, from day one so the first day he was in his gym in a boxing gym he was with me and uh so it's been interesting it's been a bumpy ride ups and downs whether it was in the amateurs or the pros and but now we're starting to get some momentum building, and uh, uh, we're ready for the next step. And then I have uh, young Avery; he's 21 years old. He's seven and oh, yeah, seven and oh. He fights at one twenty eight, one twenty six, one thirty. He's still growing, so we're not really sure what way he's going to end up. Mm-hmm. But I started coaching him when he was probably 15 years old. And those are my two main guys. I work with Ryan Ford too, who's out in uh, Edmonton, who's had a. Mm-hmm a stellar amateur uh, amateur stellar uh MMA career and he's been doing the, boxing the real
0: deal the yeah. real
1: deal the one and only the real deal.
0: Mm-hmm. so I,
1: him too I owe him a lot you know he he went into the grants and he gave me the opportunity to become his head coach and we uh we had a lot of great experiences uh, traveling the world and just just that experience working with Ryan and traveling and being in these big fights big venues seeing how other commissions work, other promoters work. It's like, I can't even repay the experience that he's brought to me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, I've brought him uh, a lot of uh, boxing knowledge too. And, uh, you know, I helped him get better in his boxing game. So I've had the uh, Mo and Avery and then uh, Ryan, and then I'll work with other pro fighters here and there. So I'm currently like, for sure. I'm, lo- I'm always looking for talent, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. uh, I'm interested in having more fighters, not too much because I really put a lot of personal care in all my fighters. You know, I talk to them every day. I know what they are, you know, I really get close to them. So now that I'm, you know, I have a few years in the pro game, I'm able to like maybe handpick or be like, yeah, I could work with you or no, it's just not going to work out, you know? So, Mm -hmm. and then in the past, I've worked as cut man, you know, the big guys in Montreal, whether it's been, uh, Jean Pascal, uh, I mean, Lucian Boutet, David Lemur, you know, I was able to work somehow with them, whether it's in their corners or working the pads with them.
0: Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Some pretty unforgettable experiences. Within that wealth of, of experience, was there one standout fight or experience or camp that sort of sits in your mind as the most meaningful one?
1: If we're talking about fights, I mean, right off like the top of my head, I mean, there's been quite a few, you know, whether it was when I was a cut man or whether it was when I was a coach and something I said change or impact the fight. Those are the memories I'll have, you know, or the big knockout wins or or the the fights where you're like, you're really unsure if you're like, it's a 50-50 fight and you pull it out, you know, those are always amazing but i also remember the the experiences that didn't go well you know and mm-hmm. those are those are interesting because to me those are the one those are the experiences where it didn't go so well those are the experiences i always refer back those are the experiences i always like i won't do that again or i have to change that or i have to fix that whereas the winning when you win a big fight or you have a successful experience you're just high on the the adrenaline you're high on the experience you're so happy that you're maybe not focusing on you know the little details or you're not like mm. as motivated you know so it's a it's a balance of it I mean it is what it is you know the experiences.
0: Yeah where do you think uh, women's professional boxing is going to be going in the next let's say five to ten years and how much of an impact did the Taylor Serrano fight have on that do you think?
1: I think now that people are turning in, they're they're putting the TV on, it's definitely going to be good. It's just going to go up from here because people are finally giving the chance for women to fight and to be on a prime spot, you know. Yes, maybe women won't have those those knockout reels or they won't get those knockout ratios that the men will have, you know. But there's Mm -hmm. still extreme uh, excitement, extreme, uh, you know, great show you know so i think it's just going to go up from here and especially now that people have an eye for it it's just going to go up you know that's that's the entertainment business it's what's going on now you know what's selling tickets or selling views you know
0: yeah i think it's unique because women's boxing um kind of it's probably going to be one of the only professional women's sport that really gets a ton of love like it's. I think it's going to outweigh the WNBA. It's going to outweigh, um, you know, like name a number, n- Name another professional you know, what? You sport. No way. You bring like Any kind of point. love, right? You know, you so bring I a next boxing. Point. Boxing might be the one that people are as keen to Maybe watch. Maybe tennis uh, though. Tennis, that?
1: Uh, tennis is very yeah, high up totally.
0: There. Great points. You know, tennis and tennis and women's boxing might might take you know the throne in terms of getting a mixed viewership of gender and age and and excitement and people will turn on the tv and will buy the pay-per-view for a female main event as much as they would see serena or, or um you know venus williams in yeah in wimbledon and at the end of the so. day
1: they don't have a helmet they don't have a number on their jersey you know boxing mm-hmm. that's why it's so special it's the story behind it's the individual mm-hmm. if it's not like let's say you take lomachenko like his abilities in the ring phenomenal you understand like Mm -hmm. or even you like it's what sells the paper you know and boxing you're able to have that image you're able to have that social media you're able to tell your story whereas other sports you're just another number you know yeah you Mm -hmm. might score a lot of goals but you don't get that same same buzzing feeling you know where you have it in the fight game whether it's boxing or MMA so and even Mm -hmm. tennis you know that it's marketable so I think I think it's an excellent point you bring up and I mean, it's going well, and I hope it keeps going to that level. Mm-hmm. You know.
0: Yeah, it'd be, it's really, going to be really interesting to see where that goes. Now, you've mentioned Lomachenko a couple of times. Is he your favorite boxer currently active right now?
1: Honestly, I don't. I don't have uh, any favorite fighters. I get asked that question yeah. a lot. I don't. I mean, the, every fighter brings something spectacular. When I say Lomachenko, or whether it's Mayweather or Canelo or Tyson. They're they're hard to repeat those kind of guys, you know. It's hard mm-hmm. to repeat their techniques or what they're doing. It's just special. It's a combination of you know their their experiences growing up and the way they learn boxing or whatever. But they do something that other fighters don't really do, you know. And that's what makes mm-hmm. them special, you know. So mm-hmm. maybe that's why I bring him up a lot. But uh, yeah, very special talent, and it's very hard to do what he does, you know. And it's yeah. something to look up, but. It's not something for everyone.
0: Well, and even with Tyson, you know, there was something I remember. Yeah, I can't remember if I was watching a doco or I was reading something about Tyson, but just even from a genetic, like biochemical level, the w- the rate in which he could contract his obliques or something was just beyond mm-hmm. normal human human potential. So, to your point, something like that is like, yeah, can you try and teach that Mike Tyson peekaboo, like? Inside, you can try to teach it, but will it ever be the same? Like, because again, there's a genetic component to that, and perhaps that's with Lomachenko as well. His ability to, you know, recruit, you know, a mass amount of, you know, fast twitch muscle fiber and be able to move like he does, or his, you know, his um, his rate of vision, like to see things as quickly as he does. You know, can you ever replicate that? And it's really beautiful to see these people sprinkle out through boxing history and influence generations of boxers to come. And yet,
1: yeah. Yeah, Alberto yeah, they Durant, they'll never you know. be
0: replicated to your point. It's very interesting.
1: So that's what makes them special, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what are your opinion on the Bival and Ramirez fight coming up just cuz he's been a hot topic on our podcast recently. How do you think that fight's going to go?
1: That's an exciting fight. That's a battle of styles. I mean, Zurdo right? is Zurdo is like his his volume is phenomenal. He's a lefty, he's tall, he's big. Uh, I don't know, man. It's it's a hard one to say who's gonna win. Bivol, I think, um, is very good at what he does and very conservative. Mm-hmm. So, like you just see with Canelo, there's no Canelo banks a lot on his power. He banks on wear, wearing you down. He banks on mm-hmm. you know, like giving you a bit of leeway and then taking it back like an experienced fighter mm-hmm. would. But he didn't. There was no cracks in Bivol's game, so. Bivol's mm-hmm. style might be boring at times, the bouncy in and out, but he does it to a perfection. So I don't know how long he could do that with Zerdo, and we'll see. You know, like, styles make fights, but
0: yeah, it's, It'll it's be really interesting a battle of styles. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's honestly just, if you're a boxing fan, it's just like, it doesn't matter who wins. It's going to be a wicked fight. It'll be interesting to see if Zerdo can maintain his cool as well too he can get a bit dog when he starts you know well
1: that's the thing too you know so you have you have the lefty who's tall who throws but who stays there and engages and takes mm-hmm. bombs sometimes you know he takes punishment yeah. Bivol won't do that Bivol, no and his, his range never, management
0: is so good yeah
1: so it, it's definitely going to be an interesting fight but zerto is, is with julian you know maybe they change something up maybe they switch something up Maybe they yeah, bring well, something a, to the table. They, you know, and Zerdo is a big guy. He's big for yes. one seventy five. You know, you, you're not fighting a five foot uh, seven, five foot eight Canelo. I mean, so
0: yeah, no know You a, you can't a, watch one guy. fight
1: and be like, oh, he's gonna do this again. With no, it's, it's completely different styles right there. So yeah,
0: well, Julian was it. saying they're they're cooking up um uh, the best Zerdo yet. So I I can't wait to see that. I believe um, that and. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to bring you have to bring your A game to a fight like that. Um, And uh, I'm curious to kind of I know we've got the Triple G uh, Canelo third installment coming up. How are you feeling about that? You think it's just is this just a cash gap at this point? Like, is this just, you know, do we need to see this again? Is yeah. Triple G too old? Like, what, what do you think?
1: I don't see I don't see Triple G hanging up in there. I mean, he still has that strength, but the age and, you know, it's just I don't see it. I don't see it being a good fight like the first one. The second fight, you know, the second yeah. fight, Canelo really yeah. had the upper hand. But the yeah. thing is, like, like the cash grab. Yeah, like maybe the boxing coaches will be like, "Why are we seeing this?" But the casual fan of boxing loves loves that sound of Triple G versus Canelo. Loves
0: like,
1: it. People who won't turn in every like every weekend to watch the fights Friday, and Saturday. Like they might watch four fights a year. They're gonna watch that fight, and that's why yeah. we're seeing it. You know, that's why we're seeing that fight again.
0: And Triple G, his last fight was against uh, that Japanese fighter. Um, what's his name? Mur-
1: Murata.
0: Murata, thank you. And he took a lot of punishment. That fight was not an easy fight for Triple G, and he's is, he is getting older. He took a lot more punishment than I'd yeah. seen him take. Mur- Murata and brought a really Crank. good fight. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So I, it'll be interesting. All right. Let's uh, let's break it down a little bit. I'm curious to know a couple things just about you. Um, this is a little bit lighter on the topic. What is your favorite all time boxing movie?
1: My what? Sorry.
0: Fa- favorite all time boxing movie.
1: I think The Rockies for sure. I mean, I my dad would put that every weekend, and it's just like that. The Rocky movies are or they represent like the boxing of it forget it but just the story again (laughs) i'm going back to you know seeing how someone starts up and then they do these club fights and they're you know that's what sells you know that's what people like so for sure that one in the cinderella man that was a good story there yeah i have a soft heart for those stories you know but
0: (laughs) definitely my favorite uh,
1: boxing movies.
0: Tugs on the old heartstrings of Coach Thompson. Okay, cool. And then, what's on your boxing playlist in the gym? Like when you're in there, you're doing your thing, you're grinding with your athletes. What do you got on the repeats?
1: Uh, when I'm with the athletes, like the pro fighters, maybe something in the background. But we're talking. We're we're communicating. We're talking boxing. Like, and it, there could be a fire in the corner of the gym. Like, we're so going <laughs> to it. You know, we we get in the groove of stuff, and there's a yeah. lot of communication. So music's not really. A thing for uh, for when we're doing whether it's sparring, whether it's bag work, mm-hmm. pad work, you know, it's it might be playing in the background, but I don't know. Yeah,
0: it's, it's interesting for a lot of people that haven't been in a competitive setting in boxing because you know, fitness boxing presents the element of music being so closely intertwined with the experience, and then when you go into a competitive atmosphere, it's like dead silence in the gym yeah. or whatever like even uh the, the boxing club that i was most recently uh, fighting on their team it was just like we trained in silence and i remember yeah. a friend coming uh coming to watch and just being like this is something like it was Corey. just such a t- right <laughs> but you don't even think about it. you're not thinking like oh no. man like i really wish i could hear my like you know caribbean yeah. bottega beats yeah. or something right now but it's just kind of funny and then for your um how many like would you say fitness boxing clients do you have comparatively to uh, your pros or your amateurs
1: or do you do any of that at all yeah i have clients i have maybe over 25 30 clients and i have two pros in camera right now ryan's coming in tomorrow i'm working with other pros but definitely like right now i'm still doing a lot of privates more than i i wish i had to but Mm -hmm. eventually eventually the pro game is going to be so good that you know maybe i'll keep two three clients but you know, awesome. if I was working construction to to help me do the pros, it wouldn't be the same. You know, so I'm I'm always in the gym. You know, I play with my schedule. I could leave camp for like a few weeks if I have to. But I, I have a lot of clients, you know, and most of them are my friends now. So it, it just makes my job a lot easier.
0: Awesome. Now, I believe you recently opened your own gym.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm partnered up with uh, someone. but
0: Partnered up awesome yeah and how was that experience did and i think you mentioned you did it during covid you started doing your own thing or did the gym evolve after that
1: a bit in the middle of that but uh, having your own gym it's uh it's fun it's amazing i mean you do what you want how you clean Mm -hmm. it how you want you know there's Mm -hmm. no one stepping uh, over your toes and like i said before like when i train my pros i really like that uh i like the mix of it you know sometimes i'll bring my pros to train elsewhere or usually I'll bring them to Mark Ramsey's gym where there's a lot of great fighters that train there, you know, but mm-hmm. I like the the privacy, I like the one-on-ones, you know, the the quietness and the focus, mm-hmm. the, the personal energy, you know, one-on-one, or even if it's two fighters, you know, the focus, being able to concentrate and really like go deep into uh, the understandings of boxing, so it's been great, my gym, it's a beautiful spot, you know, and uh, it's brought a lot to me so far, and Yeah, I love it.
0: And was it challenging kind of having that smack dab in the middle of, like, sort of the COVID evolution? Like, did you have any hard days where you were like, I don't know if we're going to do this? Like,
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, COVID really, like, I I was trying to, you know, I was talking to one of my buddies and it seems like this last year or so, like, I definitely stepped up my game as a coach and putting more hours, more energy, motivation And I was wondering, like, what happened? Like, why am I such on another level? And the grind is so hard, you know, like the motivation of things, you know? And he told me, he said, you know, you were locked up in your house and you had nothing to do but talk to yourself. And -hmm. and during COVID, I was like, like, I forgot everything I know about coaching. I didn't, but you're Mm -hmm. there, you're asking yourself, am I ever going to coach again? Am I, what's going on? Mm -hmm. I, I can't do what I love. I can't, I can't train my boys and get them ready for a fight. So you start losing those. But at the same time, it's really like, okay, is this really what you want to do, you know? Do you want to keep pushing in this sport, you know? So Mm -hmm. COVID really like, uh, for some people I know it was devastating, but for me it's just like reminding me of what I really want to do and, you know, just look at yourself in the mirror and be like, okay, this is what we're doing, let's go. So hard days for sure. There's hard days all the time, but, Mm -hmm. you know, you keep pushing, you keep grinding, you keep trying to get better, you know? Mm -hmm. and you embrace these uh you embrace these hard days because they just help you to build up stronger you know so like before when I said you know some experiences were bad experiences in boxing bad fights but you learn so much from them and it's cliche you know the rocky or whatever but what matters is how you're gonna go from there right
0: yeah so
1: the the covid business of all of it you know I mean it was rough at times but it definitely like even for fighters, I've seen fighters just be like, okay, this is not for me. Yeah. But other fighters, they really be like, okay, well, I got to train even though I don't have a fight. Well, that's how hungry I am, you know? So. Mm-hmm.
0: I think for, for people that have jumped so deep into, you know, like not, not just this industry, let's say any industry, and to the point where they identify themselves about based on what they do. Like, I am a fighter or I am a coach. And then having that identity crisis of like, man, like there's no fights to fight. There's no fighters to coach. There's, you know, and and then to be able to come through that and have that solidify who, you know, you are and to make a decision regardless of the hurdles to go forward. And then hard days feel so much better when you know, you're doing what you love to do, what you were meant to do, and you're doing it for yourself. Right. And, you know, I think we can relate to that so much when, in, in our, our challenges through COVID as as promoters and and even regardless of uh, of of COVID, like just doing anything and trying to do anything new and anything different, adapting is new, really hard. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's well, hard. You to. know, you we have absolutely to
1: absolutely have to.
0: And uh, on that uh, on that uh, bringing back uh, the idea of Black Buffalo as well, we wanted to check in and see how he was doing. I know there was a complication that kept him off of our card last April, and how's he? Yeah. How's he doing?
1: He's very healthy. He's doing well.
0: Great.
1: I feel like it's the first time in his career that, you know, like things are starting to move. And again, like we learned from previous experiences, but, you know, he's almost there, you know, he's almost there where he he's going to be on TV and fighting in big fights, not saying that he's going to be the A side or anything, but we're ready. We're not, we're like just maybe a camp or two away from like being on another level and being ready to, uh, to fight on that big stage. So I'm very excited. It's been, uh, you know, he's been boxing for nine years now, you know, so to see him mm. keep fighting, get better, have that hunger, you know, uh, it's amazing. It's a beautiful story and we can't wait to share it, you know, so he's doing That's good awesome. and I'm excited for, I'm really excited for what's next for him. It's been a long time coming and a lot of, a lot of sacrifices on his part and, uh, it's going to be good. I just know it. I just see it. I just know it's going to be good. You just got to keep awesome. working hard and keep pushing, you know.
0: And what is the next, let's say, um, what is the next level for you look like? What is the next 10 years of, of your coaching? Where is that going to bring you? Where will you be living? Who will you be working with? Like, what does that look like for you?
1: The image in my head is just, like, take it up another level. I mean, like, like, like I just mentioned before, you know, COVID really put a like a reality, it really put a reality check, you know, so mm-hmm. since that moment, I'm just trying to find new ways to, uh, to push myself, not mm-hmm. necessarily to be motivated, but just find new ways of getting my name more out there, whether it's going down to Florida for five weeks, whether it's, you know, I'm starting to put on a team of managers and people financially backing me where I can go ahead and sign fighters and build them up, you know, so all these things that are essentially going to bring me to being like uh, one of the best coaches in the world. That's where I see myself. There's no doubt. It's just a matter of time, you know, younger, I was impatient. Now I'm just leaving it, you know, just working, concentrating on what I can do. Right. Mm -hmm. And Russ, Russ Amber was one of ones who always told me, he's like, you don't want to be asking for opportunities. You want the opportunities to come and when they come, you better be ready. So, I'm a strong believer that there's going to be uh, opportunities that fall on my lap and I'm going to take full advantage of them and just, you know, like keep working with the different people in the boxing game, whether it's promoters, managers, other coaches, keep Mm -hmm. getting my name out there and, you know, eventually be be a top coach and have guys fight on the big stages. That's Mm -hmm. really where I see myself. And that's why I'm still in this game because I know I have what it takes to get there. It's just a matter of time and keep pushing and, you know, making sacrifices and balancing the family life too. And yeah. it'll be there, you know. And, you know, I, I like Montreal, but, you know, I'm, I'm also open to, to, you know, maybe uh, partially living in the U.S. or full, fully full-time living in the U.S. because nothing to take away from this place here. I mean, it's been great for mm-hmm. me. Uh, look where it's brought me. But the, the big time fighters are in the U.S., you know. Whether it's yeah. entertainment and boxing, whether it's entertainment and... You know, uh, movies or singing and stuff. You know, the big, yeah. the big, the big money, the big money, the big people are all in the U.S. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's the next step for sure. I love that quote. I want to take a second and just kind of reflect on that. I want to be able to make sure I we bring that out for uh, the the highlight reels of of the podcast with you. Is don't ask for opportunities; the opportunities should come to you, and you better yeah. be ready when they come. I think that's that's brilliant, yeah. you know, and. And, uh, I really see that in, in your character and your work ethic and, you know, Dan spoke so highly of you. And I know a lot of coaches here, uh, you know, have a lot of respect for what you're doing and it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast and be able to chat with you you. and meet you and, um, really excited about, you know, what you bring to boxing and we can't wait to, you know, have your career grow and, and flourish right in front of us and, and see where you, where you go, what next level looks like for you.
1: Thank you very much. Those are uh, very kind words of you. And uh, I hope I'll be back on this podcast to talk some more boxing and. Views well, you know what support. I was
0: thinking? I was thinking I would love to have you and Julian Tua back on the podcast together and have Man. you guys riff a little bit. Yeah.
1: I. You know, you, you look at this podcast up here, it says an hour and four minutes. I just get this feel. I never spoke to him or anything, but one of my close associates, uh, Ryan Scalia knows him, you know, he's been in his gym, he talks to him he's he has some fighters with him and just the way uh, Ryan would describe Julian, I think that that number is going to be like four hours up there. We're, <laughs> we're just going to be like talking boxing right. in our world. That to me would be an honor, you know, off. like he's, he, he's definitely one of the top coaches in the U S and he's young too. So to me that I would love to have an opportunity to just to talk yeah. boxing and strategy and, how he thinks and sees you know different
0: elements well the elements part of about this, this game. is you and julian actually are such similar and the like so similar in the way you approach your coaching and and i, I want to say this with reverence is the obsession you know and like the learning how to teach and adapting and, and bringing in information and uh, he spoke very similar about his idea of you know, bringing in different information to adapt to specific people at specific moments. It was just all about the evolution of his coaching game athlete by athlete and hearing so many similarities between that's how crazy. you talk about your coaching and how he talks about his. Yeah, I think, I think that would be an episode that would just blow people's minds right out of the water, yeah. especially all the, all the boxing nerds who be watching our podcast yeah, for, for sure. sure. So we'll have to make that. that happen. Try to get yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that's, that. my pro- that's my promise to you, Jesse. I will I will make that happen for sure.
1: Okay. I'm going to remember.
0: Awesome. Okay, cool. Well, it was a pleasure to meet you. Thanks for coming on to the Empire Boxing Podcast, and we will definitely see you again.
1: Thank you, guys. Have a good evening.
0: All right, Jesse. Take care. Make sure to listen, follow, and subscribe to Empire Boxing on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube.